Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you on the Tuesday evening where we are set to continue our reflections into the book of Genesis. We are in chapter 6. Uh, this evening we are going to talk about Isaac and Abimelech. That is what chapter 26 is all about. But more specifically, I think envy. As I was going through these initial verses, and I think we're going to read up to and through verse 16 of chapter 26, the one word that kind of jumped out at me was envy. So we'll touch upon some uh, key aspects to this narrative about Isaac and Abimelech. But as we do, we're going to really focus in on, I think, this capital sin of envy. I don't know in all of our programming here on Seeds of Truth if I have really talked about envy at any kind of length. And I really do intend to treat envy at length. And to really do that right, I thought uh, we would be best served to turn our attention to one St. Thomas Aquinas, so we will consider uh, what he has to say about envy, which will have us kind of looking at envy, this capital sin, systematically. All right, so before we jump into the verses themselves, I do want to just continue to welcome all of you who are not only listening live to the program on KKXX, but also who are tuning in by way of podcast, especially in the countries of Canada, Mexico, Argentina, Brazil, uh, Chile, Western Europe, Portugal, Spain, Italy, France, Germany. I also see Croatian and China and South Africa, as well as other African countries. It's a great joy that you are taking time out of your busy schedule uh, to join me here on Seeds of Truth as we reflect into the richness of this biblical text, the book of Genesis. You know, I, I had one of you come up to me and, and say, <laughs> gosh, Joe, I had no idea that the book of Genesis deals so much with human nature. And I think that's a point we've touched upon before, how uh, if you really get into these verses, if you really get into the narratives that fill these chapters, what you quickly come to find out is that the book of Genesis is very much a narrative not only about salvation history and all of those great patriarchs, but also a drama of human nature that reveals human nature. And that is the great value of treating the book of Genesis. And this is why we spend time just not talking about Abraham and Isaac and Abimelech and all these figures, but also, and even more specifically, certain virtues, uh, certain capital sins in, in this evening's case, so as to better understand who we are in our relationship with God, and how we might continue to fill that gap between the person we are and the person we ought to be. Because if we are going to grow in moral principles and in virtue, we do have to underscore what the biblical text is trying to teach us, and how in these narratives, there's something going on that's much deeper. Because again, these narratives do record human nature, and they record either virtue or lack thereof. So again, this is to our benefit. Okay, without further ado, let us jump into chapter 26, verses 1 to 16. 
Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and will bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will fulfill the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and will give to your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall bless themselves, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So here in these first five verses, what you have really is a renewal of the divine oath sworn to Abraham, right? God had pledged to him uh, land in chapter 15, verse 18, uh, multiple descendants in chapter 22, verse 17, and of course, blessings for all the nations in chapter 22, verse 18. So Isaac thus confirms really uh, himself as the heir of these covenant promises. Now, I say a renewal and affirmation because here we're talking about the affirmation of Abraham's heroic faith that we have talked about so much. All of these are benefits given to Abraham and his descendants because of his heroic faith, because of his great obedience to God. He listened to God, right? Obadire, to listen. He listened to God. All right, how about verses 6 to 16? So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, My wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me for the sake of Rebekah, because she was fair to look upon. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac fondling Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So here, in verses 6 to 11, you have a sojourn that parallels who and what. But uh, Abraham sojourns in Egypt and in Gerar. What's interesting about this is, in all three episodes, do we have the patriarch passing the matriarch off as his what? But sister instead of his spouse. Apparently, I guess we conclude that it was hazardous at this time to, to travel abroad with a beautiful wife. Now, 
as I uh, had already talked about, we are going to get into envy. As we read in verse 14, he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household so that the Philistines envied him. What does it mean to talk about envy? The Philistines envied him. Well, envy is one of the most, um, we could say, potent, powerful causes of unhappiness. One could argue that it is the most joyless of the seven deadly sins. Uh, What are the seven deadly sins? What are the seven capital sins? Pride, avarice, lust, anger, greed, of course, envy, gluttony, sloth. These are the seven deadly sins. Envy is the most joyless of these seven sins. And it is the first, right? Recall from the beginning, it was envy of God that caused the fall of the angels and devils to come into existence, right? It was envy that that brought on the fall of our first parents. The devil envied their happiness. The devil envied their joy. Tempted Eve, who, who tempted Adam, who brought in sin into the human race. You can fast forward later in the Old Testament. It was envy that caused Saul to want to murder David because David was so popular and and so successful. Fast forward to the New Testament and the Paschal mystery. It was envy that caused the scribes and Pharisees to persecute Christ, to have him condemned, and finally to have him crucified on Calvary. Envy drove the Paschal mystery. I mean, think about that. Think about the significance of the capital sin we are talking about. It is the sin that drove the fall, and consequently, the sin, the capital sin, that brought about the great Paschal mystery. This is the significance of envy. Now, what more could we say about envy? Envy is a passion, and as a passion, it consists in a sort of deep sadness, a deep sadness experienced in Uh, the sensitive part of our nature because of the good we see in others. And this sensitive impression often produces what? But a, a feeling of a kind of anguish. Let us be honest with ourselves. We have all passed through in some way, shape, or form this sin. And if we were to recollect and think about it critically, what does it produce? But this feeling, this, this feeling of a kind of anguish. As a capital sin, envy refers to the tendency to be saddened by another's good. Another's good is if that good constituted an affront to our superiority. That's the sloppiness of this sin, right? Often envy coincides with a desire of seeing the person deprived of that particular good that offends us, as well as we could also say the immoderate desire to acquire that good for ourselves, uh, even unjustly. I mean, think about that one time or that last time you were envious. Is this true? Probably yes. <laughs> Envy today, I think, has a manifestation, a manifestation of something that we don't always correlate it to, and that's moral relativism. What is moral relativism? Moral relativism is you can have your truth, I can have my truth, as long as our truths don't impose upon each other, all is good. That often gives birth to the, well, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. We're just going to have to agree to disagree. 
That is a poor statement, my friends, because unless you are talking about who the best football player is or who the best basketball player is, that doesn't really work. Jesus Christ came as what? But the fullness of absolute truth. What did he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life in John chapter 14, verse 6. Moral relativism denies that there are any objective moral norms. So at its core, this denial is intended to subvert the objective status of the goodness of others. And that's how moral relativism is linked to envy. One might apply envy to one of the Ten Commandments. More specifically, how envy is contrary to a particular commandment. What, what commandment am I thinking about? But the Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's goods. You shall not covet your neighbor's goods. Because envy is all about coveting our neighbor's goods. The most detailed explanation and really condemnation of envy is given by Christ himself in his parable of the laborers in the vineyard uh, that we read in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. The laborers who worked all day supposed that at the end of the day they would receive more wages than those uh, latecomers who put in just one hour's work. When they were not paid more, what did they do? They complained. They complained, prompting the owner's rebuke. What was that rebuke? (laughs) Are you envious because I am generous? So envy is really the antithesis then of the great virtue of generosity. And generosity is nothing more than the manifestation of love itself. Because if love is to will the good of the other, as we talked about yesterday and on many other occasions, it expresses itself in the generous soul. Because the generous soul gives not because of what he is going to get in return. No, he just gives because he desires to will the good of the other, right? This is the great virtue of generosity and really fruit of the Spirit. When we are living in the Spirit of God, be rest assured, we will be generous in what we possess. The generous soul is constantly looking at what he can give away. What's more... Envy proceeds from that distorted self-love which can bear neither anything superior nor any rival. When we lack the proper humility and become convinced of our own superiority, there's an emotion we encounter, and that emotion is sadness. We become saddened to see others better gifted than we are, or with no greater gifts than ours, succeed better than we do. The object of envy often is chiefly some brilliant quality in another person or virtue. That's what makes envy so tragic. The fault of envy manifests itself in the pain we experience. The pain we experience upon hearing the praises of others. In the the subsequent attempt we make to, to depreciate this good opinion by criticizing those who ultimately become condemned by us. Again, there's just a sloppiness to to envy. Mea culpa. All right, what else could be said here? Well, envy is often confused with jealousy. St. Thomas Aquinas, among others, certainly makes this distinction. Uh, They differ, that is, envy and jealousy, in the fact that 
Jealousy consists in an excessive love of one's own good accompanied by really the fear of being deprived of it by others. So the essential difference then between envy and jealousy is that we are envious of another's good and ultimately jealous of our own. We've turned everything upside down. Now, there is also a difference and a distinction to be made between envy and emulation, the latter being a praiseworthy sentiment, urging us to imitate, urging us to equal, and if possible, urging us to surpass the good qualities and virtues of others. But always by means that are fair, always by means that are just. There is no one greater affirmation of a father than, than to have his son pass him in his deeds. And I can just put this in the context of my own relationship with my two sons, and for that matter, four children. When my four children surpass any good qualities in me, by the grace of God go I. I see that as an affirmation if they are emulating me, and as they emulate me, find grace and strength to perform in an even better way those virtues that they might see in me. Teasing further out this capital sin of envy. Envy is by its nature, and again, this is Thomas Aquinas, a mortal sin, because it is directly opposed to the virtue of charity. We just talked about that, right? And charity is, is that which requires us to rejoice in the good fortune of others. Another tragedy is the absence of rejoicing in the good of others. The more important the, the natural or supernatural good we envy, the graver is our sin. And this is why we are talking about this, to be able to identify how grave it really is. So envy can be uh, culpable in its effects when it, A, disturbs our peace of soul. Here we are looking at the consequence, the effects of envy, when it disturbs the peace of our soul. B, if it stirs within us sentiments of hatred causing us to speak ill of others, to darken their character, or to go so far as to wish evil upon them. Again, <laughs> this is what we are dealing with in envy. This, this is what it gives birth to. And C, envy can be culpable in, in its effects when it tends to sow discord, not only between strangers, but between members of the same family. Was there a envy in your last family gathering? And lastly here, envy can be culpable in its effects when it urges men, it urges us on to, to the immoderate quest for riches, to the immoderate quest uh, for honors, to the immoderate quest for pleasure. All of that is but a, an outgrowth of this distortion. Now, St. Francis de Sales says that when a passion like that of envy has already taken our heart, we ought to drive those passions away speedily. For even if we give them the slightest leisure, St. Francis de Sales says, they will become mistress of that place, that place being the heart. So if you are identifying right now something or someone that you are envious of, 
pray for the grace of God to drive it away. <laughs> to drive it away. Another remedy is probably, I would say, to distract the mind by occupying ourselves with something else, to really be able to focus in on something else. What have I said about being pure of heart? Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. You know what I'm about to say if you are a faithful listener. To be pure of heart is to have a single heart for God. If you want to drive envy away, be pure of heart. huh? Because to be pure of heart ultimately is to have a single heart, a single mind for God. And what is the byproduct of that but a certain calmness? When calmness ensues, we should then strive to bear in mind that the good qualities of our neighbor do not lessen ours, but are rather a stimulus to imitation. This is what must be understood this evening as we reflect into envy, right? Among the positive means as we speak of imitation are what? Well, I think there's two of them. The first is drawn from the fact that we are members of the body of Christ. No, you know what I'm going to say, the mystical body of Christ, and that the good qualities and, and the attainment of one member redound to all the others. Let us praise the gift we see in other, not bring it down, not be envious of it. So instead of being saddened by the superiority of others, what does Paul tell us in Romans chapter 12, verses 15 to 16? We should rejoice since their superiority contributes not only to the common good, but to our own particular welfare. That another person's good is at the service of our good. Because if they are doing what they are being called to do, offering their gifts and talents to the mystical body of Christ, then we ought to be reminded it is God revealing something that belongs properly to him. And as he, God, is revealing the mystical body of Christ more and more through other, then we are enriched. You see the value of embracing our vocation to be a mystic and at once rejecting this capital sin of envy? Boy, I could not speak to this enough. So important. Uh, the second means consists in what? I've kind of already touched upon it, but in cultivating that noble and Christian sentiment of emulation, which prompts us to imitate, imitate and even surpass the virtues that are beheld, of course, with the help of God's grace. And here we must keep in mind that for emulation to be good and remain free from envy, it must be right in its object, so it must uh, bear not on the successes, but on the virtues of others so as to imitate them. It must be worthy in its motives, uh, seeking not to vanquish others, humiliate them, bring them under subjection, but to make us better in order that God may receive greater honor. The glory of God is man fully alive. We become the praise and glory of God. All good, again, is a manifestation of the goodness of God. And lastly, as it relates to emulation, it must be fair in the means it employs to attain its end. It must always be of right use. So emulation then is an effective remedy against envy because it causes no one harm 
and is at the same time an excellent stimulus. Uh, St. Gregory of Nyssa once said that uh, we, we ought to consider <laughs> one another to provoke unto charity and to good works. We ought to consider another person's good work that we might be encouraged to do good works. What does St. Paul himself say? Be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. St. Paul isn't being selfish. He isn't being prideful. No, he's just saying, hey, imitate me only because I imitate Christ. That by imitating me, you are imitating Christ. This is why we imitate the saints, because the saints imitate Christ. Amen? Amen. So, (laughs) the Philistines were envious of how the Lord blessed Isaac. Let us not fall into that envy, my friends. Let us appreciate the good in others. Only if the fallen nations had appreciated (laughs) what the patriarchs had done, salvation history would have been different. But History is history, and we learn from history, right? All right, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of this time that we have to reflect into the richness of your word, that we might be mindful of the sin of envy and how we are called to emulate, imitate you, fulfilling our vocation as a mystic, that you draw out who we are for the sake of the body of Christ. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.